Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today the show is uh, going to be called, is called, Victim Reveals Real Life Sexual Abuse is Not as Pretty as on TV. This is um, actually something that I um, am very happy to be able to be bringing to you, even though it's, you know, it's, it's not, uh, this, is not, this show is not for the faint-hearted uh, today. But so many times when I sit in my office uh, and see patients and have them tell me these stories of abuse, I mean, for example, a lot um, related to the priest abuse or just any kind of sexual, physical abuse, especially sexual abuse, and, and grown men and women sit there and, and sob, um, I always think I wish that people could see this or hear this because it would um, explain that these experiences in childhood are so profound and stay with people. It's not something that you can just get over, as Dr. Phil might like to say. Um, you can't just get over it. This is something that really stays with you and affects the rest of your life. And uh, today, my guest is Cheryl Jolly, and she is going to share with us her story of sexual abuse that began when she was five years old and ended when she was almost 16. Uh, she's written a book called Daddy's Demands that tells her story, and she's going to explain some things that um, are sometimes hard for people to to understand, like... Um, you know, how a family could stand by and not do anything. Uh, also, some of the warning signs and, of course, the impact on her today. She's 47 years old today, and um, this is as clear and has as strong an impact as it did when she was five. So welcome to the show, Cheryl, and thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Why don't we, before you start your story, why don't you tell us about why um, you wrote this book at this time? I wrote the book, like, I'm trying to raise money for abuse centers worldwide. Like, I really would love to get a lot of sales just to raise money for abuse centers. Um, The main reason I wrote the book was to help others understand that people need to speak out more to their children. Like, to make the, like, I talked to my daughter when she was very young, like, I mean, four or five years old, that it wasn't okay for anybody, including me, to touch her. Like, I want parents to realize that it's usually somebody in the family that you either wouldn't expect or, you know, and they make these children so afraid that they are afraid to come out with all the information. Like, they're afraid. I happened to lie when I was nine years old when he was charged with me and lied because of being so frightened well, of what he was going to do to me. Uh-huh. Well, let's, okay, now let's go back and start at the beginning. I don't want to get too far ahead of the story. Okay. Um, tell us about what your life was like before five years old, before your father started his abuse. 
I'm like I'm I'm not a hundred percent positive because I remember on my third birthday that I never wanted to sit on his knee. Hmm. But the five year old I'm like I'm not sure if this started before then and I just blocked it out. But I know when I was five years old because I was in such shock and you know, my life before that was like fine, you know, we got everything we ever wanted, like you know, like we had a good life, but I don't remember really a lot sure. before. Well, and you were growing up in Canada. Yes. And what kind of work did your father do? Oh, he was like the head boss in a big um, school supply, actually, manu- like manufacturers, and he um, like was the head of oh, hundreds of people, like, huh. you know. He had a really high up job. And did your mother work? Yeah, my mother worked for uh, actually um, a record player company, like a record store company. And she didn't start work till I was five. Now that's interesting. So do you think when that her going to work gave your father more freedom to do what he was going to do? No, because this usually happened at night. Like he'd invite his friends over, and they would get drunk. My mom never drank, and he would try and talk their wives and my mom into going to bingo, so that it was the wives going to bingo, and that's when it started for me. So tell us about the first time. Um, the first time him and his friend were drinking, and I woke up to go to the bathroom and then to go get a drink and I went into the living room to ask if I could get a drink because he was very strict, right? And he told me, yeah, and I was in the kitchen and I was going to go back to bed and they told me, my dad told me that um, I could stay up for a while and then he asked me if I could keep a secret and I'm like, yeah, because I was nosy, you know, all kids are, right? Yeah. And then him and his friend threw me on the kitchen table and the man his friend held me down put his hand over my mouth grabbed my arms held my arms down and my father raped me hmm. and then afterwards like the blood was i was in such shock that i jumped out of my body like you know and i ran to the top of the fridge thinking i was safe and when i turned around i like, I was scared to death, and here I am still laying on the table getting literally raped. And then I don't know how I got back into my body, like, at that time, and I think it was shock that did it. And when he was done with me, like, I was bleeding, and he really made a mess of my insides over the years, but he uh, told me to get cleaned up and get the heck to bed and... He didn't say it like that, and that if I told anybody I'd, that they would believe him and I would get sent away and all this. And then uh, when I went, you know, to the bathroom, like, I'm looking for a Band-Aid big enough to cover, like, I didn't know where the blood was coming from, right? I just knew where it hurt, and, yeah, it, I was in agony for days over that, and then he just... It just got worse. It elevated, like because well, he started. Well, wait, let me more. just interrupt you for a minute. What? Because um, 
I just want to make it clear to my listeners that what you described as far as being feeling yourself on top of the refrigerator and looking down at yourself is a very common that's usually what happens when when um children are are sexually abused that it's called dissociation it's a way of the mind protecting itself but because it's such a horrific experience that um, the mind tries to separate itself from the person who's undergoing this horrific experience and, and sort of protect itself by being somewhere else. Yeah. Have you had any therapy? Oh, yeah, yeah, I have, but not until I was, like, 29. Okay. Yeah. So did, did the therapist explain all of that to you? Yes, uh-huh. yes, but it was... The reason that I had to go to therapy, and I know this sounds crazy, but I used to see spirits after I could leave my body, right? And, like, as I was growing up, but they were always scary, you know? And when my dad died, I felt like he was haunting me for, like, four years. And it wasn't until I was 32 years old that I finally just, didn't know, and I was, like, at my end, you know. I was in so much pain from my accident, and... Wait, wait, we're getting a little bit... Okay, okay, We're getting a little too far ahead. Okay, Okay, I'm sorry, it was my fault. But (laughs) why don't we go back to... So what... Now, after... When you... After this happened the first time, didn't... Wasn't there... I mean, did you clean up all of the blood, or why didn't anyone else in your family... Did your father clean it up? Why didn't anyone else in your family see that there was blood? Because I wore... I didn't find a bandage, so I... Like, nothing was big, big enough, so I just rolled up a bunch of toilet paper, and I put it in between in my underwear, right? Yeah. And I went to bed, right? And in the morning, like, I flushed it all down the toilet, but because he ripped me, like, he pulled my nightgown right up, so there wasn't actually a lot of any blood on my nightgown mm-hmm. that I remember, and... You know, if there was, I likely would have just made something up. And all night I just sat there crying, you know, and to my teddy bear, like, holding it tight, crying myself to sleep and wondering how I should react in the morning. Like, I didn't know how to be myself. Like, it was weird. It was like trying to play a part in my head. Like, how do I, how was I the day before, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I you, spent all because you were crying. trying so hard not to have anyone know about this because you were afraid what would happen to you. Right. Yeah. Okay. And when I woke up the next morning, he's like giving me this really dirty look, and I was scared. I was very scared. Well, what were you scared of at that time? I was afraid of him because of the threats he was saying to me while he was doing this the night before. And the fact that his eyes scared me so bad that he looked like the devil to me, like, because of his eyes. I don't know. can't explain it. They were red and dark because he had dark brown eyes and really mean looking. And it just, I'd never seen that look on him before. And did you think that besides, you know, his threats of sending you away because nobody would believe you, did you think that he would do something to you, like kill you? Oh, yes, because after that, he threatened me all along the way that he would kill me, yes. Huh, how 
you know, it is amazing to think that uh, a father could do this to a child. It's really, really sad and tragic. We'll hear more from Cheryl, more of her story. And, um, you know, this is something that uh, we all sort of need to become more aware of to be attuned to little children who you know who might be experiencing this at their home and afraid to tell. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Cheryl Jolly is the author of Daddy's Demands. We'll tell you how to get it later. And uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-472. 
5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with Cheryl Jolly. She's the author of a new book called Daddy's Demands. It's her true story of sexual abuse from the age of five till almost 16. And uh, it's not as pretty as uh, the television and television and movies like to uh, like to make you think, where it all ends happily ever after, uh, with the with the perpetrator getting um, punished sufficiently and and uh, the victim getting therapy. Um, we were talking about, uh, and sh- let me just say um, that Cheryl is sharing her story in her book and with us today because. Uh, a portion of the proceeds from the book goes to uh, fund uh, abuse centers. She's trying to help other uh, people who have been abused, children who have been abused. So let's continue with the story. Um, you were talking about the first time, of course, the most shocking and horrific, in a sense, um, when your innocence was shattered, literally, um, when your father abused you. I, I assume that the man who, the friend of your father's, didn't do anything except hold you down at that time. Right. Um, yeah. So what, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, so what happened after that? After that, nothing. Like, it no, just... I mean after that day. Like, how did this abuse proceed? Um, he would uh, do the same thing, like on the weekend. First it was on the weekends, every weekend, right? And then uh, he'd always invite his friend over, talk my mom into going to bingo with his friend's wives, you know. And it started becoming different friends, too. And it was crazy. And then he started letting them rape me, too. But the threats got a lot worse, and I got more frightened. And then it was crazy. He, By the time I reached nine, he abused myself and he was trying to abuse my friend that was spending the night. And she told her parents, and he got charged with huh. her and myself. And so what happened? Um, he, uh, oh, nothing really. Like, he got a slap on the wrist. They told him he couldn't drink alcohol for a year, and he got probation for a year, and that was it. Well, had he raped your friend, or? No, he hadn't. He just did mild things to her, but it frightened her. It's never happened to her before, you know. And then uh, we got actually evicted from the apartment building we were living in because of the whole thing. And then uh, they actually moved, too. So then we moved, and then he started all over again. And But it just became worse from the time I was 5 to 9. Like, it came in the middle of the night he'd come into my room and he would rape me and I couldn't do nothing or say nothing. And I was so afraid that I uh, started putting, like I would, I would wake up at the sound of a nick, like my bedroom had carpeting, but the sound of the, I would put a nickel on the halfway on the top of the door just enough so that it wouldn't fall off. And then uh, as soon as the door would open, the nickel had fallen and it would wake me right up. You know, mm-hmm. and that's how afraid of him I was, and the threats like he threatened to kill me, he threatened to send me to the bad girl school, and I didn't know what that was, and that I'd never see my family again, and you know that 
if I did anything or said anything. So when he did, I did get charged. I was so afraid I lied. I did lie. I said, oh, he barely touched me because I was too afraid. You mean when your friend brought attention to this and your father got charged when you were nine and they, they, the police talked to you? Yes. And that's when you said that, well, what did you say that he did? I just said that he went down the front of my pants a bit and that that was it. (laughs) That's all I said he did. You mean that he touched you? Yeah, but barely. Uh-huh. Like, I just, I couldn't tell the truth. I was too afraid to. And tell me about your family at this point. When he got charged and it became public, um, didn't your mother ask you more questions? Uh, yeah, but I lied. And everybody asked me questions, but I lied. I was too afraid to tell the truth because of it. And, uh... The look on his face when he... And the thing that really killed me is they picked him up because of the abuse from the other girl, right? And because of me, like, they questioned me and everything, and I, they wrote it down. And But because they picked him up in the morning, right? And uh, he, went, he went to jail for, like, a couple hours and came home. Hmm. And so I thought, oh, like... Why is he getting in trouble? Like, and then when I found out what he got charged with, like, I'm like, why is he getting in trouble? And so then the threats became worse. Like, I can get you in the middle of the night, any night, any time. Nobody would know, you know. You mean because they didn't do anything, so he felt like he felt more empowered to do whatever he wanted. Right. Right. And they never checked to see if he was drinking. Like, the police never, ever came to for that you know like it was like nothing well what about um his job did he keep the same job even though you moved did they did the job ever find out about it not until not until he went to jail and that was years later like years later i was in my 20s well okay let's not jump ahead too far so so what happened after that after I was nine? After nine, yes. Well, then he began drinking more and more and sending my mom out with... And he'd invite, like, four or five friends over. And they would all get a turn at me. He'd make me watch pornographic movies, like, porno movies, and he would just do whatever he wanted to me, and it didn't matter. And then he started coming and like constantly in the middle of the night it wasn't once a week or twice a week it was like three four times a week and I, we were all afraid of my father like he was strict but yet like he was like Jekyll and Hyde to be honest he was the friendliest guy you'd ever want to meet but on the other hand he was terrible in our own house like my mother wouldn't say boo to him she would jump at his command like we were all like that like we were all petrified of him i had two older brothers too and they were petrified of him also was he physically abusive to your brothers or your mother no he knew what no it was mainly meant verbally he he really knew which buttons to push he really did and he could scare us so bad and 
I don't know what, like, I don't know why. And I don't, like everybody, we were, we were brought up that he was the man of the house. He was the strict one. He did everything. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he was very, like, you do as I say, you know? And so we began to be afraid of him at a very young age, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So as we got older, we were still very afraid of him, all of us, well, even my mother. Well, what was your mother's um, fear that he would do if he wasn't physically abusive? What did he have, what did he hold over her? He didn't hold nothing over my mother. She was a saint. <laughs> she never did anything wrong. Um, he would basically I mean, what was she, start what, kicking she us out of the house. He went? He would kick us out of the house, and then he would harass us so bad. Like, you have no idea. He would harass us. He would follow me all over the place. If I went to my friends or if we were out at the park, he would follow me. I would get so scared. I would run into an apartment building that was nearby, and he would yell out, oh, don't think I can't find you. He would, we would have to go. We, we, like, we didn't have enough money on our own. Like, my mom didn't make enough money, and so he was the main provider. So when we get kicked out, we would have to actually go to his father's house, uh-huh. all of us. Uh-huh. And that happened, like, regularly, at least once a month. And she wasn't allowed to take her car. He would he would do things to her car. He would either take the battery out, and or he would say that he's wrecked the brakes and all kinds of things, so she couldn't drive her car, and we'd have to, you know, walk there. Like, one time he kicked me out, and I had to walk there to my grandfather's at 2 in the morning in the, by myself in the middle of the night. And how old were you? I was 12. So I was scared mother, to death. <laughs> your mother was mainly afraid that he would kick her out and not provide for her. Well, anymore. it wasn't even that. Like, he would do things that would make us think he was going to... Like, he took a frying pan to me. He he ripped my clothes off me. Like, he would throw me out of the house. Like, I guess he was physically abusive also, but not to the point where he would take a belt to us. But he would do things to us that... You know, like, or or he threatened to go to my mom's work and get her fired. Like, hmm. you know, things that would scare us. But, uh-huh. yeah, like one day he ripped my, he threw me out. But before he did, he ripped my jeans from the bottom all the way up, you know, and I was scared to death. And then he throws me out of the house and I land in a neighbor's arms. And I was so, like, oh, I felt like an idiot. But he'd break things of ours. He'd, like, fool around with things. And I wrote a book when I was nine about everything he did from the time I was five and up, right? Yeah. And I hid it, right? And he found it. And he used to get off Fridays early. So we could come home on a Friday. All of us kids were scared to come into the house. We would... Like, stay outside. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry, but I have to interrupt you here because the music is getting louder. But when we come back, you will tell us about what happened when he found that book. Um, You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest is Cheryl Jolly. Her book is Daddy's Demands, and a portion of the proceeds of this book goes to help um, abused shelters so that other children who have been abused 
uh, perhaps can have a better life. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. At last, a radio program dedicated to helping women look fabulous and feel fabulous naturally. You'll pick up tips on natural detox, learn about the benefits of whole foods, practice stress and relaxation techniques, and learn more about health, relationships, remedies, and self-motivation. Tune in to Feel and Look Fabulous with Arena. Broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We promise you, it's women's time well spent. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with Cheryl Jolly. She's the author of Daddy's Demands, a new book about the horrendous sexual abuse that she suffered at the hands of her father and his friends, um, and before the break, you were just about to tell us what happened when your father found the book. Um, you had written a book about what he had done to you from five to nine, and um, and how did he find it and what happened? Well, he got off early on Fridays, and he'd always be drunk when we got home from school, and I 
came home from school and he was mad at me, like really mad. And I was didn't know what I'd done, right? And I went upstairs to my bedroom and uh, I checked for my book and it was gone. And I knew that mm-hmm. I was going to get it. Like he, like he would do things to us. Like, and I ended up, yeah, like we'd get kicked out of the house. Like one to get, like usually me or my brother would get kicked out of the house and then uh he'd kick us all out like mm-hmm. yeah so he found the book he must have burnt it and he threatened me and yeah i guess i never wrote it again <laughs> you know i it didn't was do all nothing engraved else. in your mind and you finally wrote it now yeah um well tell us about the last time how how did you how did you stop the abuse a little bit before you were 16? I actually was so sick of it, you know, and it was getting to the point where he would just throw any friend on me that he felt like, and I I couldn't understand, like, what did I do that was so bad to be put through this? And I screamed. It was in the middle of the night. I screamed. He was in his underwear. He ran back to the bedroom with my mom, right? And, like, my family believed that he didn't touch me he did touch other kids but not me so they thought that he didn't do anything to me so they didn't really know what to think when i screamed and i told them what happened like my brother says you're dreaming and i says no i'm not dreaming this is what he did well he threw me out of the house yeah again like it was in the middle of the night he threw me out I walked to my grandfather's again, like, the usual, and then the rest of them got kicked out by morning, you know. But um, they didn't know. Like, and okay, then that but was then the what happened? Time. So then did you tell them that he's been doing this since you were five? Yeah, I did. I told them all, and they didn't know, like, what to do about it, you know. Like, really, like, I didn't want to talk about it. Uh, like, at that age, I was just so sick of it. I didn't want to tell my whole life story to them, you know. they I thought they wouldn't have believed it if I did. Yeah. Like, I know they would have believed me, but to the point where if I had told them from the beginning to the end, I didn't think that they would have wanted to hear that because it was too graphic, you know. So and what happened? Like, so what with happened? all of his friends and... Yeah. They knew, like, my mom knew these people, you know. She went to their houses. We all did, like, growing up. And, yeah, it was just, it was sickening. It was just. So what did your family do when you told them? Well, not much, because he was getting himself in trouble all along the way with other children. And, like, my mom, like, my mom basically had no choice but to go back to him. Like, I know she, if she could have afforded it, we all would have been gone. But because of the way he threatened that he'd get her fired, he, you know, that she couldn't have her car. So then, you know, and that, like, it was like we were just so afraid of him that he got away with it. And his family was afraid of him because he'd come and he'd cause trouble and he'd fight with my grandfather and my cousins and he'd like push their 
throw their air conditioner out or they like he'd smash the windows like he did whatever he wanted he was very like the police were called so many times because of him over the years from us that all they ever said was oh we don't like to get involved in domestic disputes hmm oh wow and they would leave us and they would say either leave or you know they wouldn't take him away well, okay, but when you were 16 and you finally told the, the story, I know, I understand you didn't tell the whole thing from 5 to 16, but you told enough. Why didn't your grandparents or why didn't someone um, report that to? I mean, it, was it was it really a matter of of um, just not wanting to be on the street? I mean, didn't were there? Um, were there shelters at that time, or or no. your grandfather didn't couldn't, there couldn't you just stay shelter. with your grandfather? Pardon? Couldn't you just stay with your grandfather? Well, we did lots of times, but then he would bother, like he would harass the whole family so bad that it got to the point that everybody was afraid of him. Because he would harass everybody. But, I mean, once it was out in the open, in terms of what you said, that he not only did this to other kids, um, but he did this to you, why wasn't? Why didn't that shake things up and change things? Well, because my father had already been charged, like, many times before with other children, before they found out about me. Yeah. And the court system didn't help them. What so did they it do? So it wasn't going to help me. Well, what did they do with these other cases? Basically slapped him on the wrist and he left. Even though it kept, I mean, I know you said that happened at nine, but even though it kept happening, that more and more kids kept coming forward and they would still just slap him on the wrist? Yes, all the wow. time. He didn't go to jail. Wow. He didn't go to jail until I was, like, older. So what happened that time that finally he went to jail? He was charged with um, 35 kids. Huh. Right, and we lived in these townhouse complexes, and there was three of them, and there was thirty-five kids within the three townhouse complexes, and he ended up getting one charge out of them thirty-five kids. No, actually, he didn't actually go to jail that time. I I made a mistake. After the thirty-five, and he got the one charge. By then, he had been to court so many times that. Like, they got kicked out of the townhouse, right? And we moved them out and everything. And my mom came and lived with myself and my husband by the time that they got kicked out with the 35 children that time. But he was charged, like, in different places, too. Like, not just here. Uh-huh. And, like, one time, like, this is sick, but um, one of my friends told me that and I believe her, because he used to walk the dog at on certain nights, like on the weekend, right? He would walk the dog because he'd be really drunk. But he'd take bottles with them, with them to the park, right? And there was a park basically right behind the townhouse complexes where the older kids hung out, and that's where the high school was. And um, so he went there one night with the dog, and he sexually molested the dog in front of 25 kids. Hmm. And, and like, did anyone report that? No, because he was giving them all booze. Huh. See, that was another problem. All the kids liked the fact that he let them do whatever, like let us all do whatever we wanted, 
and we had lots of friends. So he liked to get us all drunk. And when you're young and you're 12, 13, 14, 15, like getting, and I would try to just go to their house, but on the weekends they liked to come to mine because he'd let them drink. But even though he molested them? He he didn't molest all of them, but, you know, he did molest some of them, and for that I feel so bad. But he had his friends over, too, and so he didn't care, and they didn't do nothing about it. Well, so what was the final time when he finally did get four months of, of jail time, right, and four months in a psychiatric hospital? So what was the final case that made that happen? Because of all the charges. Because it finally um, it got getting higher, and he ch- he abused this twelve-year-old girl, and when they it went to the high Supreme Court, and there was like six or seven judges there, you know, mm-hmm. and they decided that they would give him four months in jail and four months in a psychiatric hospital. And that was after he was charged with so many kids, I'm not even sure how many. Like, I mean, it was like all the time. Like, all the time he was getting charged, and they would just give him probation. Like, nothing. Like, a, a fine. Like, he'd pay ten, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 in lawyer's costs to get him off. Huh. And it worked. Wow. And so, um, so this finally, so now you're 47, and what impact did all of this have on you? Well, I tell you, I can look at people, I can tell if they're abusers or not. I can, to me, I wanted to protect my daughter. I told her when she was like four or five years old. You don't trust anybody. I've been paying attention her whole life. She's like 20 years old now, and I still look out for her. And I talked to all of her friends, too, over the years, like since they got, when they got a little older, right, about it. A lot of them were abused, and it just made me mad that nothing was done for them either. So I thought it's time to come out with this and try to get people help like just time yes to get people to be able to talk about it because Open they weren't up and talk to your children because they weren't talking about it as much 42 years ago when it first started happening to you and everything was kept hush hush then yes well let's take a break we need to take another break we'll be back my guest is Cheryl Jolly the author of Daddy's Demands we're talking about her experiences and when we come back we'll talk some more about uh the impact on her and, and what parents should be looking for and doing. And, of course, the first thing is being more aware of this and uh, talking more about it. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? 
Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com If you're a parent, you face all kinds of challenges. You know you're a good parent, but we have a show that may help you become a better one. It's called The Book of Dad Radio Show. Hosted by expert husband and wife team Robert and Ulette Benson. This program will answer your questions about a variety of topics that parents need to stay on top of. It's a roundtable of discussion that's great for the weekend or anytime. Tune in to the Book of Dad radio show every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a wow, a wise, outrageous woman of a certain age who wants thrilling work, vibrant health, joyful relationships, financial freedom, and the new F word, fun, in the next stage of life? Join host Lynn Schreiber in the Wow Zone each week where you'll meet amazing women who are creating lives filled with passion, purpose, and pizzazz. In the Wow Zone, broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Anything is possible. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Cheryl Jolly. She's the author of Daddy's Demands, a book that recounts her horrific childhood and her years of sexual abuse. And some proceeds from this book go to help fund abuse centers. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I find the most amazing is um, how this went on for so long, from 5 to 16, and even though some other children came forward when he abused them and so on, that nobody really, that you were so scared you didn't tell, and that nobody else, like teachers or counselors or friends who you you did tell, a few friends, but they they didn't tell. Um, I mean, why, for example, didn't the friends who were molested and who knew you were molested, why didn't they tell that you were molested? I mean, how because, did it go on all these years and, and no one realized that you were molested? Because they were getting free alcohol. <laughs> and I, I know it sounds crazy, but we were all kids. And everybody enjoyed it. And he was a really good, like I said, he was like Jekyll and Hyde. He was a really good guy, you know, and I don't... But these kids who came forward and charged him weren't enjoying the... the they weren't the my friends, though, the ones that got charged with them, other than when I was nine. These all were, like, totally different people. Uh-huh. That he'd done this to, like... Over time, like, and, like, he'd come home from being out at 
the park with the dog or whatever, oh, the cops will be here any minute to pick me up. Hmm. So we knew he'd done something to somebody. Wow. Yeah, Boy, and this went amazing. on for years. He'd do that. So when you're, um, you wrote this book in recent years, and um, like a year and a half ago, actually, about, right? Yeah. Um, and your mother read the book, and what did she have to say about it? She was furious. My mother is such a even, cool person. Like, she never gets, you know, mad. And when she read the book, she was so mad and swearing, which she never does, is like one of her no-nos, right? And um, she was so mad that she was crying, and she's like, I wish he was alive because if he was, I'd kill him, and I mean it. She says, how could he be like, how could he do this? Like, what is wrong? Like, and he was dead. Like, she couldn't do nothing, you know? And it was too late, but she was so furious. I was so angry. Well, when, was that the first, I mean, I guess that was the first time that you told her the extent of it. You you said something at 16, but, um, so from 16 to 45, approximately, you never really told her more of the details. Why, why did you keep quiet for all of these years? I mean, just, even as you got older, you know, when you didn't need to live at home, for example. Well, because I was always worried about my mother because of my father, so I always stuck close by the house. You know what I mean? And it wasn't until she um, finally left him in 90, and then she was divorced by 91, and she was living with me, and I still I didn't have the nerve to tell her to the extent. I didn't have the guts to tell anybody the extent. In my book, I write about a lot of things that he did, but I don't write about a lot of it still. Hmm. Wow. There's, I mean, it's, there's even more, even more. Oh, yes. There's a lot more. And I just, it's so sickening. Like, it, I didn't tell in my book, like, I'll tell you one thing I didn't tell in my book, is that he used to urinate in me. Mm. I don't know why, but he did. Mm. And I don't know why. It was sick. Like, and the psychiatrist, and the, when he was in jail, he had a ball, because nobody knew what he was in there for. He told them drinking and driving. They all believed him. Nobody. That's another thing that bothers me, too, is that these pedophiles go to jail for, it's not going to fix them. Jail does not fix them. Therapy does not fix them. They, the top psychiatrist in Canada, when he was in the institute, the, like the institute, he was in Clark Institute in Canada, and the top psychiatrist in Canada said that it's like something in his brain, and it's always on their mind. It never leaves their mind, and it just took him the alcohol to give him the courage, mm -hmm. but he always mm -hmm. thought about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it obviously had to do with something uh, during his childhood, especially something... He was molested, I think, I'm pretty sure, as by a child. His, by his father or by... Mother. Mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's where he got all of this rage towards women. Uh, I'm thinking, yeah, he must have. He said he liked the feel of young kids because they were soft and they had no hair. Hmm. And they were also, uh, they didn't overpower him like his mother exactly. did. Exactly. 
Um, and this, uh, what impact did this have on your, well, obviously you started to talk about seeing spirits, and you were telling me during the break about um, how when your father died in 1991, you thought you were cracking up because you felt that he was still haunting you, and that drove you into your own therapy. And it also um, made you unconsciously pick a man who turned out to be an alcoholic. Right. <laughs> I know. It was weird. And it was because he quit drinking for two years before we got married. And the day of our marriage, he get, he drank again. And then when I had my child, I'm like, because I really had a hard time getting pregnant because of the mess in my stomach, because of all the damage done because of him, of your right? Genitals. Your your um, reproductive tract, yes. Yes, and uh, it took me six years actually to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I finally had her, I thought, you are not growing up with an alcoholic. And I left him. How old was your daughter when you left? Fifteen months. Hmm. That's interesting. You wanted to protect her. Yes. Well, this is, um, you are doing a lot of good by coming out with your story. I know it isn't easy. I appreciate you sharing these uh, horrific memories, which I'm sure are still traumatic for you, thinking about all of this again. Um, but you have a very good intention, a very good uh, goal in mind to raise money to help fund abuse centers. So yeah. uh, I want to tell all my listeners that you can get this book on iUniverse, and can you get it on Amazon.com as well? Yeah, yeah she can, okay. as long as just punch in Daddy's Demands, and that's apostrophe S, like yes. it's not I-E-S. And um, you can get it at um, iUniverse. Dot com. Just punch in my name, Cheryl Jolly, and the Daddy's Demands, and it'll come up. And you can get it at Barnes & Noble on their website. And, you know, and if you're in Canada, if anybody's listening, you can get it at Chapters, like on their website. And, um, yeah. So, and okay. I'm at cjolly at kos.net. If anybody wants to contact me, contact me. I have an open book. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again. And again, let me spell the name of the book, Daddy's, D-A-D-D-Y apostrophe S, Demands. Daddy's Demands and Cheryl Jolly is Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L, Jolly as in uh, Jolly Old St. Nick. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't a very jolly beginning, but um, but I really applaud you for trying to, um, for putting yourself through this in order to try to make the lives of other sexual abuse victims better. So and thank I you hope again. It works. I really hope the sales of my book can do something. I really do. Well, I do too. And again, uh, please go and, and uh, check out the book. And uh, you know, of course, there, there's a lot more to the story, a lot more in the book um, that we were able to cover in, in one hour. But uh, again, thank you very much, Cheryl Jolly. The book is Daddy's Demands, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.